You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 15. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And so I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you all. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Welcome. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build them up as his church, and to send them into the world. Uh, So reach, build, send. Doesn't it pop? It feels good if you say it. You can say it right after you brush your teeth in the morning. Reach, build, send. What are we doing at church today? Reach, build, send. Uh, Now, the the transition from reaching and sending, that the B word, y'all know the B word, build? Build that, not the other B word, come on now, we at church, that uh, the transition from reaching to building is often the most difficult one. Build to send isn't that difficult. Uh, in other words, to go from being a visitor at a church to feeling like it's your family, that's the difficult transition to make. Uh, we say at Sojourn, your first step, if you want to get connected, is to come to the Sunday gathering. Uh, so you all have made your first step. Way to go, guys. Very happy for you. Welcome. We're excited that you're here. Your first step to be connected at Sojourn to make this place your home is the Sunday gathering. Uh, your second step is a, an event we've cleverly called. Anybody want to guess the name of it? Second step. So let me follow the logic here now. First step, Sunday gathering. Second step, go to second step. 
What is second step? Second step, we've tried it before, and then we had a, y'all remember the pandemic? Remember that thing that happened that shut everything down for like a year and a half? Then that thing happened. Uh, so second step is a weekly class where we gather together. Here's some of the things that you'll do. We recite historic creeds, the historic creeds of the Christian faith. So we're going to learn kind of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, what the church the church Catholic, not the Catholic church, but you know, the universal church has gathered around for roughly 2,000 years or so. Um, there'll be some sermon discussion. We'll pray for the missionaries we have overseas. We'll pray for our Harbor Network church plants across the country. We'll study the Christian lectionary. Um, there's free childcare. It lasts an hour. We've tried to cover every base so that if you're one of these people that either wants to learn more about Christianity, you're a new Christian and want to learn more, you're new to our church and you want to get connected and meet some folks, or you've been following Jesus for a while and you want to get into more doctrine and theology, second step is your best second step. So if you want to meet people, go to second step. If you want to learn and study the Bible, second step. You want to pray with other Christians, second step. Uh, new to Sojourner Christianity, Next step, second step. Uh, so we hope you guys will join and hop in. There's info in your bulletin, signups in the bulletin. There's class booklets available at the table if you want to see what we'll be doing, which creeds we're going through, and so on. So uh, it went pretty well over Zoom. So, you know, if it goes okay on Zoom, it should go okay in real life. It uh, starts this, this Wednesday, right, Robert, Bobby? Robert, Bobby Gillis? Uh, funny story. No, I'm not going to say it. Gillis is a French term. I learned that when Bobby and I and our wives went to France to visit Daniel and Kristen Wainwright, I don't know, two years ago, and they, they kept calling him Gilles Robert because Gillis is a French first name, Gilles Robert. So now when I call Bobby Gillis with Siri, I'll say, I have to say, hey Siri, call Bobby Gilles uh, because it says there's no Bobby Gillis in your phone because Siri speaks French. So if you ever call Bobby or Kristen with Siri, you have to say Gilles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Get distracted. <clears throat> When's the last time uh, that you realized you were not in control? Come on. I had this elaborate intro written up uh, to lead to that question. And then uh, there's a team of us that meet to review our sermons, my sermons every week. And they're like, I think the question is strong enough. I don't think you need a, a story. When's the last time you realized you weren't in control? Maybe it was a phone call, and maybe it was a hospital visit, maybe it was a car accident. When was the last time everything changed in a moment for you? But, I mean, again, the easy one is the pandemic. Anybody vote for that? Mid-January, be like, you know what this year needs? So when's the last time you realized you weren't in control? Striving for control is one of the strongest human impulses we all feel. But striving for control, really, it's in some ways, it's that desire to feel safe. Like, I'm okay, like I'm going to be okay. That could be physically, that could be emotionally. We want the world to be predictable. We want our plans to work. And, and yet, eventually... For all of us, something will pop up, something will happen that will either whisper or shout, you cannot, in fact, control your life. In, in some ways, Ecclesiastes 3.1 is a summary of the whole book of Ecclesiastes, of all we've learned to this point, and in some ways, it's the main message of Ecclesiastes. For everything, there is a season, 
a time for every activity under heaven. Uh, in, in the Hebrew here, verses 1 through 8 are poetry. It's a Hebrew poem, verses 1 through 8, a, a time for this, a time for this. It's beautiful, vivid imagery. It's heartbreaking poetry with one consistent theme running throughout it. You are not in control. You are not in control. Uh, one author, we've got his book out there, Zach Eswine, he describes these couplets, these pairings as the delights and the disquiets of life, the things that make us smile and the things that make us sad, the seasons that fill our souls and the others that break our hearts. You smile at births and you weep at funerals, delights and disquiets. We grit our teeth and go to war and then we sip lemonade in a rocking chair during times of peace, delights and disquiets. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes is saying, there is an appropriate time for all of it. Each of us are drawn either to the delights or disquiets in the pursuit of our soul or pursuit of control, pursuit of safety. There'll be one avenue that we tend to draw towards. Uh, one of my friends says, in the, in the spiritual life, we all are tempted to either be Osteens or Eeyores. We'll either have Osteen spirituality or Eeyore spirituality. Osteen spirituality is where you focus on the delights. You're endlessly optimistic. It'll be great. It'll get better. Tomorrow will be great. We focus on the delights. Pretending that we only have seasons of smiles or that a season of smile is just around the corner, can, it genuinely can help us feel safe for a time. But it's not real. If we, if we pursue an Osteen spirituality, we we cultivate inside of ourselves a contradictory soul. A contradictory soul is a soul that knows what's real, but we don't functionally live that way. It's like the Calvinist who can't sleep at night. You know what I'm saying? Where we, we speak one thing, the Calvinists get that joke, but we don't have Calvinists in this service, I guess. I'll do a different one for the next one. It's where, it's where, it's, it's where the things that come out of your mouth betray the way you actually live. It's usually the other way around. The way you actually live betrays the things that you come out of your mouth. The person that preaches love and confesses love but is mean and a jerk in relationships. That's a contradictory soul. It's an inconsistent soul. If we say everything is going to be great all of the time, there's something in our soul that says this isn't true and it creates deep tension inside of us. It's not real. Others become Eeyores where they only see the disquiets. Anticipating what could happen, dwelling on the bad that has happened, this can help, help us feel safe. You, you ever been through something and you said, this will never happen to me again. I will make sure nobody does this to me again. And I will survey the horizon. I will anticipate everything that could happen. And I'll make sure that the bad thing doesn't happen because the world is fundamentally bad and mostly bad things will happen. And I'm going to protect my... You become an Eeyore. But this leads to a worst-case scenario, anxious soul, a fearful soul, always on edge, unable to enjoy any of the delights. All of life becomes a threat. So listen, whether you, be, whether you go the path of the Osteens or the Eeyores, neither one will ultimately feel in control. Why? Because you are not in control. You will try these different methods of maintaining control only at some point to be faced with the reality you are not in control. Or as the preacher would say here, there is a time for the delights and there is a time for the disquiets. Both of these will happen in life. 
The life of gain, the life of striving, is often motivated by a desire for control. Not only does the preacher here say you can't be in control, do you notice that he implies we don't get to choose which season it is. It's not up to us if we live in a season of delight or a season of disquiet. All that we can do, limited, out-of-control humans as we are, all we can do is live responsibly before God in whatever season we find ourselves in. The first lesson of Ecclesiastes 3, I've said it 11 times already, you are not in control. Not only are you not in control, you cannot be in control. There will not be a time in your life where you have everything under control. And this reality frightens many of us. Does that make anybody a little bit uncomfortable? Just from the stage, you say, you can't, not only, you're not in control, you can't be in control. And I get a little bit of that going on. But think, think about it from another angle here for a second. How much energy do you spend in your life striving for control? Whether that be emotional or practical energy. Functional energy, emotional, relational energy. How much of your life, of your waking energy is spent trying to maintain control? To put the language a little bit more biblical here, how much of your life is spent in pursuit of something that's impossible? The scriptures are telling you, you cannot be in control. How much of your life are you spent in pursuit of something that the scriptures say is not for you? The Bible honors wisdom. It is okay to plan. It is good to be thoughtful and measured. But this exaggerated desire for control, what's an exaggerated desire for control? To control the uncontrollable. Like thinking you can keep a two-year-old from biting his sister. You know, like it's gonna happen. No matter what you say, no matter the rules, it's, it's gonna happen. That exaggerated desire for control is trying to control something that is uncontrollable and fighting that. It's perhaps the greatest source of fatigue, of anxiety, and of suffering in our lives. Controlling the uncontrollable is perhaps the greatest source of fatigue, anxiety, and suffering in our lives. So, be a person that acknowledges, that embraces, that believes there will be days of sunshine and there will be days of darkness. You cannot be in control. All you can control is your posture amidst the chaos of life. So the preacher gives us this beautiful poetry, verses 1 through 8, to stir our imaginations, to make a heart beat fast, to draw us into the text. And then he follows that with prose, verses 9 through 15, to help us get a better understanding of what does this mean. He explains the song that he's just written. Look at what he says, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You notice that he's saying that there's beauty to be found in every moment. He doesn't say grin and bear it through the disquiets. And don't worry, there'll be something that'll make up for it during the delights. He's saying the presence of God is there in the delights and the disquiets. God is the source of all beauty. Often in the Old Testament, beauty, do you know what the synonym for beauty is in the Old Testament? Glory. Glory is the summary attribute of God that no, go read all the theology books. No one is precisely sure what it means or how to define it. You'll, 
The best we get is the, the summation of God's infinite value publicly displayed. And you're like, well, what? What? Glory is God. And, and as the, the scripture writers are wrestling for a way to describe it, they, they'll often use words like beauty. Everything beautiful is a window into the face of God. Beauty is, again, often synonymous with glory. And he's saying, the preacher, is that God is there in all of it. The, the desire for bigness that we have in our souls, the desire for more, for unquenchable, everlasting fire. What is that? That's the beauty of God placed inside of us. It's the image of God that we all bear. Or as he says here, God has placed eternity in the human heart. Unquenchable fire. That's some of what it means to be made in the image of God. We're longing for something that can only be fulfilled by the divine presence. That's how we find rest the divine presence, even though we can't understand the whole scope of God's work. Do you see how he said that? You will never understand everything that God is up to. We can't control the chaos, and we often won't be able to make sense of it either. But even there, the presence of God is to be found. The beauty of God is available and present in both the delights and the disquiets. And this helps us understand the preacher's conclusion. He said, so I concluded, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. So this is the preacher's invitation for us here. Instead of focusing on what you cannot control. When I asked you guys about how much energy you spend on pursuing control, I wish you could have seen the way you all looked. That's a thing here. That's apparently a thing. All the energy we spend pursuing that. He's saying, instead of focusing on all of these things we can't control and putting all of this energy to something impossible, focus on the goodness in your life because those are tangible expressions of God's nearness. Enjoy what you eat because that reminds you that God provides for you. Enjoy what you drink because that reminds you that God is near you. Enjoy your work because it's a gift from God. Do you see the posture? Take your eyes off the chaos, which often puts your eyes out into tomorrow. What will happen tomorrow? What's going to come tomorrow? Well, what about next week? What about at the end of the semester? Well, what's the fall going to be like? Take your eyes off the chaos and look for God today. Receive simple pleasures as evidence that he is near you. It could be something as simple as the gift of a silent friend who's wise enough to sit with you in the hospital rather than explain what's going on. It could be the gift of a delicious glass of wine. It could be the gift of your favorite sandwich. It could be the gift of a gentle breeze on a summer day. Whatever you can find that is good, receive it as a gift from God. Whatever you can see that is beautiful, Whatever you see that is beautiful, receive it as a window into the face of God. Relinquish your desire for control by focusing on the present presence of God. I am more convinced than ever, after spending two and a half years preaching the gospel of Matthew, and now a month preaching Ecclesiastes, more convinced than ever that Ecclesiastes was one of Jesus' favorite books of the Bible. The way he talks to people, the way he interacts with people smells so much like Ecclesiastes. And so there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus' friends are stressing out 
They're anxious. We, and so we can all relate to that because we just all agreed that we pursue control and we strive for it. We spend a lot of energy on it. So let the anxious say amen. 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 We're all in it together. We're all dealing with anxiety one way or the other. So listen, in the, in the ministry of Jesus, you'll often see this pattern. If you want to put something down, you have to pick something else up. The, the Christian life can't be defined by no. That's why some of you are exhausted because you learned a version of Christianity that scans the battlefield of all of the things you need to say no to. That's not the way of Jesus. Anytime he tells you to say no to something, he'll say, now pick up your mat and go home or leave your life of sin. He, he always gives us something to move into. So he's talking to his friends. He tells them to lay down their desire for control and look what he says to pick up. Look at the birds. I skipped the part, kind of. When they first are stressed and Jesus first tells them to stop it. You ever had some, when you're worried, you ever had somebody say to you, you ever think about stopping it? You ever think about not being anxious anymore? How does that work? Does that work? That doesn't work. That's generally bad advice. Now, I'm not saying Jesus has bad advice. I'm building the tension for what he's up to here. Jesus, his friends say, we're stressing, Jesus. We stressing. And Jesus says, stop it. Come on, Jesus. And he says, and look at the birds. So imagine you're on that panic attack and someone is like, hey man, stop it. Look at the birds. It's not initially obvious that this is going to be a helpful interaction for our chaos and anxiety. But Jesus is teaching us here that we lay down control by looking at something else first. Often we are so consumed by the circumstances we want to control. You notice when you get spun up on anxiety, it becomes almost the only thing you can think about. You can become hyper-focused, hyper-diligent. You analyze it from every angle. It spins up your anxiety. Jesus says, y'all stressing, hey, look at that. He literally changes where their eyes are looking. He gives them something else to look at. And the, the birds are very ordinary, just birds. We're not told if there's it's not like some special rare exotic bird. It's just whatever bird was there. But like the preacher has already shown us here in Ecclesiastes with food and drink, Jesus will go on to make the simple and the ordinary sacred. Verse 26 in Matthew, he says, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Why? For your heavenly father feeds them. He's saying, look guys, see these birds, this normal thing that happens every day that you've walked this road a thousand times and you haven't paid any attention to it, I want you to look at it differently now. This normal thing you see happening, this is God at work. This normal, ordinary thing that's happening is showing you something about God. Birds don't have banks or pantries. They don't save, they don't plant or harvest. Yet what, who feeds them? Did you all see it? Who feeds them? God does. What does put the verse back up there. How does Jesus refer to God? Your father. He doesn't say their father. He says, look, they don't plant or harvest, but your dad takes care of them. He's showing them the sacredness of the simple, the sacredness of the ordinary, the holiness of the ordinary. This ordinary thing is a window into the hand of God. I wish I could see, I wish God would just show up and say something. And Jesus says, have you looked at the birds today? They provide tangible evidence that God is near. 
If you want to lay down your control, look instead to the presence of God in your ordinary, regular life. Not in the supernatural moments, not in the high and miraculous moments, something as simple and ordinary as a bird flying by. Here's the hammer blow to our anxiety, verses 26 through 27. Aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You see the movement? Christian, your striving for control does not help. It doesn't make it better. Your father faithfully feeds the birds every day. Look at them and believe that and then remind yourself of how much more valuable you are to him than they are. If he takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of his beloved sons and daughters? Jesus is teaching his followers to take their eyes off their anxiety and put them instead on the presence of a God who loves them dearly. And what's interesting to me is despite all of our churchianity in Southern Indiana, how so many of us grow up in church and been going to church for a long time, that last thing I said is the hardest thing most people seem to have believing around here, that, that God looks at me and he smiles, that God looks at me and counts me amongst his children, not in a cold judicial way where it's like, I forgave you for the sake of my glory, but that he said, in love, I want you to be part of my family. A lot of people wrestle with this idea that this good news could apply to them. And some of you have convinced yourselves that God could not love you or that he's forgotten you or he will not care for you. Maybe you think this invitation from Jesus doesn't apply to you. It only applies to those who are really doing a great job. But listen to the good news, all you who are weary and striving for control. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. What must you do to become an heir to these promises? What must you do to become a child of God? Believe, believe, receive Christ's forgiveness and you are adopted into God's family. That's it. This frees us to relinquish our desire for control and instead focus on the gift of being a child of God. So, the first movement, if you've got anxiety problems, if you've got control issues and you're the least bit interested in laying that down and experiencing some freedom, the first step for all of us is to believe that Jesus has saved us. That's where this whole thing begins. Believe he loves you and that you are now a child of God. This changes your approach to anxiety and control. You're not wrestling a chaotic world anymore, but you are resting in your father's arms. So if you've made that movement, what do we do now? I've got three words for you from this passage in Matthew. The first word is stop. And I don't mean stop it. Just stop worrying. I mean when you feel yourself spinning up. You know what I mean when you feel spinning up and you get flush and you get hot and you get wound up and you start, when you feel yourself spinning up, stop what you're doing. Consciously choose to cease whatever activity you're doing. Pull your car over. Stop the walk and sit down on the dirt. Stop making whatever you're doing. Stop it. Lay it down and ask for God's grace in that moment to lay the anxiety down. The first movement, stop. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's 
He's stopping their activity. He's stopping their walk. And then what does he do after that? Stop and then look. Turn your eyes, either literally or in your imagination, to something simple and beautiful. What, what is a delight in your life? Something that you enjoy. You might need to go to the, the book of James to understand what you're allowed to look to in that. Whatever is good or perfect is a gift from the Father of lights. If you can find it, and it's good. If you like it, it's not obviously sinful. Whatever you find that is beautiful or good, I want you to stop and then intentionally turn your attention there. It could be a bird. Uh, sometimes for me, I got this back porch, the Peterson Center for Coffee and Contemplation that we just built. It's in the back, my back porch. And my neighbor has a hydrangea bush that is pink and purple and yellow and blue. It's all one bush but has like six colors in it. And it's, she's an older lady who like gardens and has it figured out. So it's one of those kinds of bushes. I look at that because it's beautiful. It doesn't make sense to me and it's wonderful. It, maybe it's a cup of coffee. Maybe it's your sleeping child. Maybe it's a favorite piece of music. Maybe it's a favorite piece of artwork. Whatever. Intentionally stop and turn your attention to something that is good, that is honorable, that is pure. And consider then, when you're looking, what does this reveal to me about what God is like? Can I preach on coffee for a minute? Let's talk about coffee for a minute. Let me tell you. Take a cup of coffee. Here, here's what I mean by reflect on what this tells me about God. Lord, you made a tree with a fruit in it. The seed of that fruit could be harvested by men and women. It could be dried out by the sun. It could be packaged and sent across the world. Skillful men and women would heat it up to just the right temperature, and then they would take it out, and then they would grind it up, and then they would put just the right temperature water on it, and it would show up here, this little slice of Ethiopia, this, this little cup of Colombia, this little cup of Costa Rica would show up and taste this way. You made people capable of carrying this across the world. You made a plant with this kind of intention and thoughtfulness for the sole purpose of bringing delight to some of your children. You see what I'm saying? You follow the goodness to the source of the goodness. This is like classic reformed Christianity. Follow the source or follow the goodness in your life to the source of goodness, which is your God, your heavenly father. What does this tell you about him? So for me, judge if you must, but coffee tells me that God is creative, that my God is an artist, that he's generous and he's surprising. Look to something good, follow it to the source of good. What does this tell me about God? Stop, look, and the third word is enjoy. So when you've followed that thing you're looking at to its source, stay there with the goodness. What does this tell you about God? Since you are God's child, what does this thing you've learned through this goodness, what must that mean for you? So listen, with a cup of coffee, God loves me. God is creative. God is generous. God is surprising. When I'm spinning, four days ago, spinning, but I have a tangible reminder, God is creative generous, surprising, and he loves me. Do you know what a coffee, cup of coffee starts preaching to me? He will make a way for you. He will make a way for you. He will surprise you and delight you in unexpected ways with his creative generosity. Slow down. 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds. They neither feed, harvest, plant, store. How much more does your father love you and care for you? All of a sudden, my anxiety turns into curiosity and anticipation. How might he provide? Lord, I trust you. Thank you for this present gift, this concrete reminder of who you are and how you feel about me and that you are here. Stop, look, and enjoy. If you learn to do this, I promise you, you will find the presence of God and you will find he's right here. He's right here around you. He's nearer to you than you are to you. He's before you and behind you and all around you and right here. You will experience that you are cared for by a loving father who's always at work in your delights and your disquiets. This is a message of grace, Christian. You don't have to fix it or quit it. Stop, look, enjoy. Take your eyes off the chaos and find the presence of God. There is a season for everything. And in all of those seasons, the presence of God is available to us. So through the power of the risen Christ, relinquish your desire for control and instead turn your gaze to the presence of God that is with you. Every week, this is what we are rehearsing. This is what we are practicing because we have all of these words and all of these emotions. And then Jesus interrupts us and says, stop, look, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. Stop. Whatever you're facing, whatever is going on, look, the body of Christ given for you. Remember what I've done for you. After the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is what makes you safe with God. This is what empowers you to relinquish your control. Because if the blood of Christ keeps you forever safe with God, then there's nothing left for you to do to be safe in this world. So drink this and remember what he's done for you. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.